We've had an outstanding series on the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this morning, I just felt there's, there's something about what we have been building in over these weeks that is that's taking roost, it's coming home. You know, when you sow something, what happens? You get a crop, don't you? Something happens, doesn't it? Something occurs. And we've been sowing into the life of the fellowship here about how when God comes in, things happen, things change. This morning, Andy, thank you so much for how you led us this morning when you talked about the temple that has been torn from top to bottom. Trevor reminded us last week that, uh, that we are now the dwelling place of God. God resides in us. Scary thought, really, isn't it? Hey? So not only do we go into the temple because the curtain has been torn and we can walk into the Holy of Holies, but the Holy of Holies resides in us. And no doubt, I better be careful because we're going to go into the series of who am I, and I, and I don't want to jump the gun before we get to there, eh? We don't want to do that. Uh, <clears throat> the temple of the Most High, God dwells in us. And then Bruce this morning just touched on, and it was just a touch. It was just sort of like an appetizer that he tossed out there this morning. Thank you, Bruce, about God's reign and how we're going to be part of that reign. Let me just read that to you again. You have made them, it happens to be us, brothers and sisters, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. That's what all that holy of holy business is all about. And they, who? We, the priests, the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom that God is talking about, they will reign on the earth. Now, Bruce dropped that in as an appetizer, just to, just to sort of, you know, say that line, hook it out, you know, line or that, reel it in, just to get us thinking. And then Mel, of course, brought in that, that thought from the David Riddell conference that, that God is so willing to meet us. He just wants to hang out with us. His heart beats for us. It really does. Now, he just wants to walk with us. He started in the Garden of Eden where he walked with Adam. And, you know, his plan has never changed. He walked in the core. He shared his life, his life, his very being with Adam. And it never changed, even though, of course, uh, history would show that we did. So this morning, some weeks ago, the elders asked me to wrap this up on the, uh, on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And I, I thought initially, I thought, well, what more can you add? We've just had such a stunning time. For those of you who haven't been here, some of you haven't, I note, over the past few weeks we have been, <laughs> primarily some family members here. Oh, on that note, I had to change my message this morning because when I found out some of my family are going to be here, I had to take all references out that referred to them. So it left nothing. There's nothing left. I had to start again. But um, over the past few weeks we've been considering Paul, Paul's word to the church at Galatia as he contrasts the product or the outcome if we just live for ourselves with the life that is produced in us when we, res when we surrender ourselves to God. <clears throat> I have really appreciated it. In fact, I, I've been energized by it. I don't know what it is, but it's something in me has, you know, it's kind of like a, it's kicked me into, you know, it's given me that sort of, Encouragement, that leg up, so to speak. I was going to call it something else, but <coughs> I better not. 
The fruit of the Spirit is evidence of God at work in our lives. Or if you like, this is what God's new kingdom life looks like. And it's all or nothing. The fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's all or nothing. We just can't choose. We can't pick and choose. Oh, I want love, but I don't really want kindness. I don't really a kind sort of person. I don't really want to be self-controlled. I loved it when Bruce, uh, when, when Trevor talked about, you know, that love and self-control are kind of the bookends that hold it all in together, hold it all into place, secure it. Um, uh, but all the the nine the nine characteristics of the Holy Spirit of our work in our li- work in our lives is all there. But unlike the gifts of the Spirit, uh, which are given as we requ- as we require. The fruit of the Spirit needs to be developed. It comes in seed form, so it's planted there. The day you gave your life to Christ, or the day that suddenly your eyes or your heart was aware that there was a God who wanted to be involved in your life, uh, the day you kind of surrendered to him, I don't know how it went for you. I know my story, and it's probably completely different to some of yours. But the day that that kind of occurred... The, the fruit of the, the Holy Spirit was placed in our lives through a divine act. And the seed form of the fruit of the Spirit was there. It was all there. All nine. They're all there. But as you probably are aware, uh, it takes willingness on our part to fully participate in what God is wanting to do through our lives. As one person put it, the fruit of the Spirit is a result of a divine partnership. God and us working together. I don't know if you, what you're like, though. I'm, I'm not the most easiest of persons to sort of participate in those sort of things, eh? 1969 was a, a very pivotal year for me. Probably it was the highlight of my schooling career. That was the fifth form. And uh, being in my particular case, it was the last year of my high school, my high schooling. Not because I didn't, not because the teachers didn't think I could benefit from another year. In fact, on my leaving report or my certificate, they wrote would benefit from a further year at school. But I, I counted that I hadn't benefited from the previous three years. Oh, look, I'm sorry. Anybody in the education uh, field? Look, good time now to plug your iPhone in, uh, iPad iPod, listen to Spotify. Oh, you're already doing it. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, so, you know, it was a, for me, it, you know, it just, another year at school didn't seem to work. So I managed to combine my fifth form with my gap year. Wonderful year. And um, a lot of people wait till they finish college. I was, I was in a hurry. I wanted to do it. So I did it at the same time. It was a really pivotal year. Perfect combination. You see, I'd peaked early in the fourth form. I, I know that sounds strange to you, but it wasn't entirely my fault. Mr. Eccleston, my science teacher, wonderful man that he was. He looked a little bit like Mr. Bean. If you cross Mr. Bean with Alfred E. Newman from Mad Magazine, um, you'd get a 
that would be doing him a great service, actually, if you did cross those two together. He, 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 it wasn't a pretty sight. But anyway, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Eccleston, Mr. Eccleston was a devoted teacher. And, um, and so it wasn't entirely my fault that I peaked in the fourth form. After mid-year exams, Mr. Eccleston came and he lined us all up and he said, if you guys, it was an appalling effect, the mid-year exams, absolutely shocking. We didn't do very well at all. And he said, if you fail the end of year terms or the end of terms, whatever they're called, you're going to get caned. That's pretty tough. I tell you, man, it was tough back in the 60s, being in school. If only I knew today what I, if only I knew then what I knew today, I could have taken him to high court, couldn't I? I could have had an injunction on him. I could have had him sacked. But no, in those days, that was a real threat, and I took it seriously. And so here I was, fourth form, with this threat hanging over me that I'm going to get caned if I don't pass the end of terms. I am one that uh, avoids pain at all costs, and this provided enough incentive for me to at least study at least open the books, at least in science anyway. And it was general science in the fourth form. It's not, you don't split off and do all these other ones, all general science, you know. Needless to say, we all passed. It's fantastic. He was wrapped. I guess he got promoted to head of school or head of department, bound to have. And, um, and, uh, and I got to go into the fifth form and complete my gap year. Um, there was no incentive, unfortunately, to drive me through into the next year. My... I hadn't benefited from the previous three years. I couldn't see what benefit the next year, another year at school would do. I couldn't see what difference it would make. What I needed was an incentive, incentive to motivate me to move onwards, to grow, to develop, to change. You see, the issue wasn't with the school. The issue wasn't with the education department. Even the issue wasn't with Mr. Eccleston. The issue was with me. <laughs> I didn't want to. I couldn't see relevance. I couldn't see how it could knit together with life. For me, I just wanted to have fun, and this didn't, education didn't spell fun. I wasn't very good at spelling. Oh, yes, I was, actually. I came second next to Claudia Watts in Standard 4. So I was very good at spelling, but I knew that, it didn't, that fun and education didn't seem to go together because it didn't meet me where I was at. The issue was me. It was nobody else. And I think today, in the, over the series that we've done, you might say, well, that didn't really connect with me either. Uh, I mean, you, you know, someone up the, the front babbling on, just like in school, and, um, and I'm in a different world thinking of what else I could be doing. And you might have been doing the same over the last few weeks. You might be thinking, well, it's all very well. There's a few people who are interested in this stuff, but I, really, I'm lost. I, I, this just goes right over my head. I can't understand it, and I can't see how it fits into real life. I can't understand why I would even want to bother to go there. And you might be feeling like that this morning, and, and good on you if you do. Fantastic if you do. If you feel like that and you're willing to open up and honest and say, yes, I do feel like that, then maybe God can just sneak in the gap. You know, he has a habit of doing those things, sneaking in the gaps. When we least expect it, God comes in. We think, wow, where did that come from? And God might just be sneaking in the gaps today because maybe what I've just said, you've, you've identified with and you think, yes, there is something in me that, that really, that I don't know. I just can't seem to put it together, but I really do want to find out what God is saying to me. And hopefully this morning, just in the few minutes that we've got, we can unpack some of that. You see, at 16, I could be forgiven for being immature. At 60, or thereabouts, I probably need to kick up the pants. 
Anyway, if you've been having a gap year or season with God or his people, I'm here to apply some inspiration to the seat of learning. I'd like us to turn to John 15. And Mel, if you wouldn't mind flicking that up on the uh, overhead there, I'd be really grateful. So we've been talking about fruit. We've been talking about the fruit that's produced in our lives. But some other key elements that I want us to have a look at today. So I'm going to read. Maybe we could read it all together, should we? Yeah, I think we should. It would be good for us, wouldn't it? So let's start. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into a fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. If you keep, as a Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my life, in my love. Lord, just bless that reading to us today. Just may it find root in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. This is one of the mo Jesus' most powerful and vivid illustrations. A metaphor basically containing three elements. Jesus, the vine, we, the branches. Note that it specifically says branches, not branch. I'll, I'll say more about that in a minute, as you no doubt will think. Um, so branches, and then, of course, the vine dresser, the farmer, the gardener, in this case, God, the Father. You see, the fruit we are called to bear includes both the fruit of a transformed character, i.e. the fruit of the Spirit, and the fruitfulness that we've been talking about over the series of fruitless or fruitfulness. You know, in every aspect of our lives, whether it's our work, whether it's at school, at university, whether we're having a gap year, or hope to have a gap year because you're in the fifth form, whatever it is, God says that he wants us to be fruitful. But what does it mean to abide? Because it seems to me, as I read this passage, that Jesus says, if we abide in the vine, not if we give acknowledgement to it, but if we abide. So, well, the dictionary has a number of meanings to the word abide. It means to remain, to continue, to stay, or to endure, sustain, and withstand, or to remain steadfast or faithful. So I've basically loosely thrown these into three categories. The first category is connection. Being connected, plugged in to the source of life. Now, I'm a sparky, so you talk about you know, being plugged in. It's quite easy for me to understand. There's a power source over there. There's a cable that runs from the power source to a power point. 
and I come along with my, uh, with my whatever it is, and I plug it in, and wonderful, I have power, powering up whatever I want to do. So I know there's a direct connection. Power source, power cable, power plug, power appliance, and away we go. So the branch being connected, the branch is connected to the vine. The vine is connected to the branch. Interesting, isn't it? What is the concept? Theologians describe this as union with Christ. The union is mutual, you see. It works both ways. We abide in him. He abides in us. But the branch I've found, and much to my disappointment I discovered this, the branch is also connected or in contact with other branches. Now, I was greatly disappointed because when I started out, it was Jesus and me, and it was wonderful. We never argued. Jesus and me never argued. There's not one argument we ever had. My Christian life was going quite well when it was just him and me. I could do what I want, when I wanted, go where I liked, even I could believe anything that came my way. I only had myself to answer to. Well, of course, Jesus, he was, he was there, but he never complained. Didn't seem to say much at the time. For some strange reason, he always seemed to be on my side. At least that's what I thought. Yes, there is a time, this is what I discovered, there is a time when God seems to answer all our prayers, meet all our needs, and is there whenever we call. My every whim and fancy is catered for. My parents were the same when I was born. Interesting, isn't it? They catered for everything I needed. If I cried, they were there. If I was hungry, they fed me. If I had done something else, they cleaned up the mess. Uh, and when we're new Christians, God's a little bit the same. But at some stage, it all changes. We'll look at that shortly. In the next couple of minutes, in fact. <clears throat> so the second part, the first one is connection, but the second part of this, this passage is dependence. You see, abiding implies that we're dependent. A branch is dependent on the vine. In connection, the branch and the vine need each other. But in dependence here, the branch is dependent on the vine, and the vine is not dependent on the branch. You see, the branch derives its power from the vine and its life from the vine. It all comes from the vine. Without the vine, the branch is useless. It's lifeless. It's powerless. It's got nothing to give. It's got nothing to bring. It's pretty empty. It's just a shallow emptiness. We are completely dependent on Jesus. Verse 5 puts it this way. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So there's a real importance for us, brothers and sisters, to remain connected and to remain dependent. 
to remain connected to God and connected to the family that he's placed us in, the people that he's put around us, the people that he's made us accountable to, because that is where we get the challenge. You think, Jesus, how does God talk to you? Well, I found he talks to me a number of ways. I found he talks to me through life circumstances. I used to go to work and say, God, how are you going to humble me today? And he says, don't worry, Peter, I'm going to take care of it. It's going to be easy. And sure enough, it was very easy. And I would say, God, what do you want to say to me today? And he would say, don't worry, I've got that all sorted out. The company that you work for is going to help me do some of that. They're going to, be help, they're going to help me disciple you. They're going to help produce in you what I want to see, the gold that really is in there. Because at the moment, you're a bit rough around the edges, to be honest. You've got a lot of pruning to be done. You've got a lot of work to be done because you, 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 you know, there's, you're just a baby. And I want to grow you up. I want you to stand like a man. And so God would say, I want to use the circumstances around you. I want to use the things you're going through. I want to use the difficulties and the challenges that you have to face. Because I'm committed to you, and I can't allow you to stay being a baby. I want you to grow up. Because if you grow up, you've got something to give. If you're just a baby, all you're wanting to do is say, please, 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 give me, give me, give me. I want more. Oh, the worship's too loud. Oh, it's too long. Oh, this church doesn't do what I want it to do for me. You know? That's a baby talk. That's what babies do, isn't it? I want more. But, you know, it's too cold. It's, you know, it's not doing what I want it to do. And God says we've got to grow up. And that's the only reason why he does these things in our lives, because he knows that unless he produces growth in us, we will never grow and we will never reflect the life of God that is in us now, that came through when the Holy Spirit came upon us, when the tent was rent from the top to bottom and we walked into the holy of holies and the holy of holies walked into us isn't that cool isn't that so good well i hope so thank you that you agree that is really cool and that really fires me up and uh, <laughs> ah dear that really does fire me up and i'm sorry that if uh, if you're having a gap moment right now i do apologize <laughs> uh, but it's, good. it's so good, you know, you know as, as David Riddell says, you know, when I come to church in the morning, I know God is here because I brought him with me. And I know that God walked in the door when I came in here this morning because he walks and he resides and he empowers this ordinary person, this person who couldn't even get through fifth form. And God empowers us to be his people. And that God, dependence on him. The last thing, of course, is perseverance. And I spoke about this when we were talking about one of those series on faithfulness, I think it might have been. But it's the art of keeping on going. If you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we go on trusting. We keep on depending. We never stop believing. We keep hanging in there. It's not hanging on with grim determination. It's hanging on with confident assurance. 2 Timothy puts it this way. It's for this reason that I suffer these things. Paul's talking about all the difficulties he's walked through. But I'm still full of confidence because I know whom I have trusted. And I'm sure that he is able to keep safe until that day what he's entrusted to me. God can keep it safe, what he's entrusted, what he's given to us. Hold firmly to the true words that I taught you as the example for you to follow and remain in the faith and love 
that are ours in union with Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, keep the good things that have been entrusted to you. You'll find that in 2 Timothy chapter 1. But in this passage that we've been looking at, the true vine, there is one other role that's at work that we haven't touched yet. And we haven't really touched it in the whole of the fruit of the Spirit series. And that's the role of the Father. That's the role of the vine dresser or the gardener. You see, we talked earlier about the divine partnership. It's neither all of God nor all of me. It is where God partners with me to produce his purposes in my life. The problem is often that I'm an unwilling partner. I don't like change. I like things to be orderly and predictive. I like to wake up in the morning and know where my trousers are, my shoes, my socks. You know, I like things to be reasonably orderly. Most times I wake up in the morning and I can't find those sort of things because the lights are it's all dark and I'm stumbling around and stubbing toes. But I like things to be orderly and I don't like change very much. You see, the hound of heaven pursues us with his love. And when he gets us, something changes. It's not that his love changes, but he becomes, like I would put it, the heavenly housekeeper. The broom comes out. The curtains are drawn. The windows are open. The cobwebs are removed. The floors are mopped. The benches are cleared. The half-empty or half-filled cups of tea and glasses of all sorts of things and old cans and bottles, empty pizza boxes are trashed. The clothes and the dishes are washed. The darkness is exposed to the light. And order is brought to bear. Now, if you're like me, you've discovered that that didn't happen overnight. It's been a bit of a process. I've been a Christian now since I was, oh, 16. Roundabout, give or take a few false starts, a number of false starts, or hopeful starts, should I say. And I have learnt that the journey is full of ups and downs, full of challenges, full of hopes and despair, full of possibilities and full of disappointments. But what I have discovered is that God has always been in the midst of all of those. See, the picture I get when I read John 15, 2 is of the heavenly housekeeper cleaning out the stuff that's not necessary, cleaning out the stuff that's not helpful, cleaning out the stuff that will only bring me down ultimately. John 15.2 says, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Or another version says, He cleans so that it will be even more fruitful. Isn't that cool? So you think you're walking through some tough stuff at the moment. You're wondering where God is in the midst. You're wondering why some things aren't working out the way you'd hoped. 
perhaps we need to turn it around slightly and say, maybe God's at work. Maybe he's cutting off some things. Maybe he's causing me to become more a part of a community, to be more surrendered. Maybe he's calling me to step out a bit deeper. I stepped out deeper this morning. I picked up a guitar and sung in front of a congregation for the first time in I don't know how many years. I stepped out of the boat. I tried to walk on water. Felt like I was sinking many times, you know. <laughs> and God says, just reach out. Jesus says, reach out. Just grab my hand. Take me by the hand. I'm here. And you might feel like you're sinking today. You might feel like the boat's going down. And you're the only one on board. And Jesus says, reach out. Just take my hand. Take my hand. Reach out to me now. I'm here for you. I want to meet you where you are. You might not even know me today. You might think this is all a bit of over-the-top stuff. But just reach out in your heart and say, God, I need to know more about what you're doing in lives. We thought God does all this because he wants to spoil our fun, to make our life miserable, full of don'ts. Well, he disciplines us because he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. And he wants us to grow and produce more fruit and fruit that remains. Just a couple of verses. But, but grow up in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in 2 Peter. 2 Thess says, Your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Psalms 84. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. They go from strength to strength. So God's picture is always of growing, of developing. Kelly wants to play the guitar. Do you want to come and play the guitar today? Mike. God is always developing, producing. So in closing, have you ever wondered why bother? Might have. Why bother? Seems a really hard way to live, doesn't it? So much discipline and determination and desire. We've spent weeks talking about the fruit of the spirits. Oh, so tedious. Another list of things to do, attitudes to change, problems to overcome. I've taken notes, but I can't even read my own handwriting. You know, I've heard, I've heard it preached in my 46 years or whatever as of being a, creature, a Christian. Then we go through all of this so that God can make us fit for heaven. What an appalling thought. I've gone through all of this so I can be fit for heaven. Well, with all due respect, I could save God a lot of fruitless energy. You see, the time we are most fit for heaven is the moment we become Christians. Surely it is. We've left all our baggage at the cross. The tent's been torn in two. We've entered into the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies have entered into us, and now we've been washed by the blood of the Lamb, and we're clean. For the, probably the very, for the very first time, we are totally clean. That's what salvation means, by the way. Clean. We're clean. We're whole. We're now wholesome. And the best time to be taken to heaven, if God wants to make us fit for heaven, if that's his plan, is to do it then. Isn't it? Great time to do it. 
no more problems. He wouldn't have to deal with Christians who can't sort their stuff out and Christians who, you know, get upset with one another and get upset with church and leave church and go and have coffee on a Sunday morning because they can't, you know, want to talk about their hurts and their pain and all this other stuff. God would have all that soul. He could just take them with them off to heaven. I think it's a brilliant idea. Sunday morning, could have an altar call. Sunday afternoon, baptism. Monday, we could bury people. <laughs> oh, we could, we could shorten it. We could have an altar call, a baptism, and a burial all in one go. Then we could go home, have tea, and watch X Factor on TV. Everything's sorted. You don't have to worry about a life. We've got it planned. I want to read you James chapter 1 to put this in context. I know I'm only joking. I trust you think I am anyway. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the person who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. A crown denotes authority, rulership. Bruce said it at the start. Quoted that passage in Revelation. I read Revelation yesterday. A uh, uh, number of passages in there. To him who overcomes in Revelation and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. To him who overcomes, Revelation 3.21, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. No mention of heart lessons cloud surfing, or joining God's celestial choir here, more like ruling and reigning over God's creation. More like that passage that Bruce shared this morning in Revelation, that that we are a kingdom, that we are priests of the Most High, that we will rule and reign. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, the God who makes our hope sure, thank you for breaking down the wall of indifference that separated us from you. We can only see a little of your great plan. We look into it like a glass dimly. It's all a bit fuzzy around the edges. But Father, we know that your plan is good, that your hope for us is eternal, that you have placed eternity in our hearts, that you have set eternity in our hearts, and that's why, Lord, we can never not exist. We can never not be, because you're the source and the the hope of our lives. You're the one who's poured your spirit into us, that we may reflect your very being. And today, Lord, we just again reach out to you to produce in us what you want to produce through the hardship through the difficulty, through the sorrow, through the joy, as we're kind, as we're loving, as we continue to grow and produce the life of God in our lives, may you come with your power, come with your anointing, come with your authority, and teach us what it means to begin to rule and to reign in this place, to rule and to reign in the city, to rule and to reign into the, into the jobs that you've given us, into the people that you've put around us, to bring direction and to bring hope and to bring life. That's all what your kingdom is about. 
because one day we're going to be doing it for eternity and we want to know what it means to start here and now. We want to participate with you. Why don't you stand with me, brothers and sisters? Why don't you just stand with me this morning? Let's just shake this office today, eh? Let's do some damage to the enemy because he wants, to, he wants us to just, he wants us to be comfortable. When we talked about that, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes, he brings life and joy and peace, but he brings more than that. He brings change. He brings challenge. He brings a new direction. And we need to put our hand to the plow today. We need to reach out and say, Lord, I want to be part of that people that make a difference. Not just for myself, but for the generations to come. I want to sow into this world. I want to sow the life of God that's been produced in me. And so as Lord, we just say, thank you, Father, that you call us to this journey today. You call us, Lord, to make a difference because of the life that you have given us. It's not us, Lord. We've got nothing to bring. But the Spirit of God in us produces the life that this world desperately needs and that we need. And so, Father, continue to fill us up, continue to overflow us, continue to equip us to be the children of God that you've called us to be. And as we go into this next series of Who Am I? May we begin to understand more clearly what it is you have called us to be and to do. In Jesus' precious name and for his glory, amen. Isn't that good? Isn't God good? I love it. I just love it. Amen.